Uh, hello again, everyone. Uh, this is Rod Courtney, and I'm your host of Tailgate Topics, the podcast brought to you by the IP Magazine and Utility Business Media. Today, we welcome back Jesse Hardy. Jesse is a certified safety professional, a certified industrial trainer, and uh, like a lot of us, a certified utility safety professional. Uh, Jesse's the chief of safety and training for Freedom Solar. Uh, it's great to have you back, Jesse. Rod, it's great to be here. I thank y'all for having me. Hey, Amen. It's always good to talk to you, buddy. Um, yeah, you did a uh, another tailgate topic for us in uh, for the IP Magazine, and this one is titled "Strategies to Handle Workplace Conflict." And um, I'm gonna be honest with you. When when I first read that title, I was thinking about uh, you know conflict, physical conflict, or arguments between employees. And but you know, in reading it, I found out that's that's not what it is. There, there's so much more uh, to workplace conflict than I really even thought. Um, and you, you did a great job. You you broke it down into actually two different sections, right? The the first yeah. section is what can go wrong and what to do about it. And then the, the second section is, uh, you know, how to identify the issues before they happen. So let's, let's just dive right in, man. Talk to me about the, the, the first part of it. Well, you know, it, it, it's a couple of things. One, like you said, it's not just employees. Now, employees do get into conflict, but for what we do on the right-of-way, um, my goodness, man, it can be landowners as well. In fact, I've actually seen bigger issues with landowners uh, back when I did right away, either pipelining or the overhead transmission civil part of the clearing. You know, so either between the landowners and the employees, we can have all kinds of issues. And kind of, kind of when we look at it, landowners, you know, how do they really get in the way and, and how are they a problem? Well, one, one, they can get in the way. You know, they're either out on our work sites or they're putting themselves or our workers in danger. And, and something else, they could be distracting our workers. You know, our crews are out there having to be on constant lookout for unauthorized people in certain areas. And we all know when those hot, where those hotspot areas are. You know, we know the, the landowners that, you know, I don't want to say they're crazy, but they're definitely problematic from time to time. You know, there could also be property damage uh, from from landowners that are upset. You know, they landowners are members of the public. They could damage our equipment and protest. I saw this more, I think, in when I was in oil and gas building pipelines. They would actually get out there and drill holes in the pipe, um, <laughs> wow. which if your goal is to uh, have a have a good pipeline, that's not the way to do it. Uh, but hey. You know, they can also uh, occasionally you get some threats of violence, man. Uh, on rare occasions, you can get threats of violence. I remember one time, probably 15 years ago, I was on a ride away with pipeline, got a call from the superintendent. And he said, hey, Jess, can you hand that uh, head out to this road crossing over there? The road board crew, man, they're shut down. They took off. There's a landowner out there with a the shotgun. And uh, I figured I'd send you in to go check it out. And I said, well, how about we call the police? He's like, well, I was thinking I'd just send in the Marine and let him see what we needed to do. Yeah, no. You know, that, but, that, that reminds me of a story, though. Years ago, I used to, uh, I was working for Siemens and we were building wind turbines. And this, this was kind of early on in the wind boom, you know, like, um, I don't know, around 2006, seven back then. And we're in Abilene, Texas, building these wind turbines. 
And back in back then, the way they did it was, you know, the the, the landowners that we were building them on got some profits from every turbine on their property. And depending on how much electricity it produced as to how much uh, profit they made. Um, and, you know, some of these guys had, you know, 40, 50 turbines on their property. <laughs> and we're out there one day, we've got uh, a lattice boom, 400 ton crane with about 300 foot of boom in it and a jib. And, uh, you know, we're all, you know, just standing back, you know, big construction zone. And sure enough, man, I look over my shoulder and I, I couldn't make this up. There's a guy standing there in a white wife beater t-shirt, with cut, off, <laughs> cut off jeans, cowboy boots, and a, and a, and a six shooter hanging on his side. <laughs> and, you know, something out of it, it, it was like something out of a cartoon. And I asked him, I said, excuse me, whoa, 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 sir, excuse me, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I'm just watching y'all build my turban. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, look, I'm going to have to ask you to go sit back on your porch and watch it, sir. But, uh, yeah, man, landowners can definitely get in your way. Yeah, man. So, yeah, that is. They get in the way, they're distracting, they can do damage, or they can actually threaten you. So kind of, you know, what do we do about it? Well, there's kind of two types of things we got to, or two ways we do, we can approach it depending on the situation. You know, one is for nonviolent issues. The other is for threats of violence. But, you know, start with those nonviolent issues. You know, stop work in the area. If anybody's in danger, you know, if it gets to the point where, where they're just so distracting, just stop the work and then respectfully, you know, speak to that problematic person and just advise them of the issue that you're facing. And then, you know, you might have to contact the appropriate client representative, you know, the utility uh, about the issue, and then you can return to work when it's safe to do so. So that's kind of how we handle those nonviolent folks. You know, it, Rod, did you, did you ever have got a good story about the nonviolent ones that were just funny? You know, um, we constantly, especially in that part of Texas, we did a lot in Iowa and North Dakota. Um, and, you know, and again, we're, you know, these wind turbines, you're out in the middle of nowhere, man. And and yeah. you know, we had some children of the corn moments um, <laughs> where, yeah, some, some really crazy stuff happened. But we were on one in Iowa. And um, we had guys up inside the nacelle, which is the, the big generator portion of the, the turbine, and they, they were building it out and kept hearing these. Um, it sounded like someone dropping a handful of marbles every you know minute or two. Come to find out, they had some hunters that were shooting at the tower. They didn't know people were in it, but they were shooting uh -huh. at it with a shotgun from a distance. So, uh, yeah, we, we had to get the local police involved and all kind of stuff for that one. I remember one time I, was, I just pulled in and I just joined a project and the, the safety guy, the other safety guy was taking me around and there was a protester. So we're cutting trees <laughs> for the right of way. And a protester had made a pallet kind of treehouse thing that was suspended by a rope. And she's up there uh, and she's planning on staying there. She's got like a tarp over and she's got a bucket to pee in and stuff like that. So we've got the cops out there and uh, we were getting her down. And then all of a sudden she picked up that bucket and the cop was down below. No. And I remember he said, young lady, 
we can end this pretty peacefully and and it'll be okay. But you throw you throw that bucket on me, it's gonna go a whole different way. Oh my goodness. I I would have tased her. Oh man, she was up there pretty high too. I'd have tased her right out of that tree. <laughs> yeah. And if we had cut the rope, it would have been a bad day. But yeah, yeah. we got her down. So yeah, those are the kind of nonviolent folks. But you know, for for the threats of violence. You know, like the the guy running, it, it's not even really a threat of violence. The guy with the six shooter, it turned out the guy with the shotgun was actually just quail hunting. Uh, yeah. He was just walking around in the desert quail hunting. But you know, for for the real the real threats, you know, like we've had those before, guys with AR fifteen saying you ain't coming on my property, and you know, for that, hey man, you just stop work in the area. You 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 again respectfully advise the person, you know that that. You're going to secure your operation. You're going to leave the area. I'm just going to make it safe and I'm going to leave. So that, that hopefully de-escalates it a little bit. And then you, you do it. You secure the, secure the operation, the equipment, and you get out of Dodge. Yeah. And then you definitely contact the appropriate client representative and ask them to call the police yeah. if you don't call them yourself. And then again, you just return to work whenever it's safe to do so. And there's been times where Heck, man, cutting trees out in Pennsylvania, there was a, a maple grove we, we were cutting that we had to have, uh, we had federal marshals out there with AR-15s keeping us safe. And but, uh, crazy. yeah. I, you know, I, I spent three years in Iraq as an H the HSC manager for the Logcap 3 project. And when you're in an environment like that, you expect things like that, right? You, you expect, I mean, we, we call them insurgents. Yeah. But, you know, in, in this case, they're, you know, American citizens. But when you're back here at home, you know, you're you're a Marine. You understand what I'm yeah. saying. When you, yeah. You know, when, when you go into a combat zone, your mind is different. You expect certain things. When you come back and you're in, you know, Willy Wonka, Pennsylvania somewhere, and, you you know, you're out in the woods, the last thing you expect is somebody to come up with a, with a rifle or a handgun threatening to kill you to get off the property. Yeah, it is, man, but it does happen and people get upset. You know, the people are pretty, they can get crazy about land and things like that. Yep. So that the, the last question on this part of it was um, why is worker to worker conflict resolution important? Talk to me about that. You know, so unsettled worker to worker conflict, man, it can momentarily steal your thoughts as we think about the issue. It can distract us from, from our work by getting us all riled up, which can make us mentally and emotionally unfit for duty. And, and kind of the way I, I define fit for duty is it's sure it's physical, but it's also mental and emotional. So you need to be physically fit and you need to be mentally focused and emotionally stable to be fit for duty. Uh, and you know what? Other than that, it just creates an environment that causes good workers to leave. And those who remain, well, the bad eggs, they just recruit more miserable workers because like my grandmother said, birds of a feather flock together. So the bad folks bring in more bad folks. Yeah. And it it can lead to physical violence, man. It can turn into workplace violence. So Absolutely. those yeah, issues are big. That's not good, a good environment for anybody. It's not safe. It's not emotionally healthy. It's it, that, that's a terrible way to go. But yeah, um, you know, creating an environment that's uh, that causes workers to leave and 
things like that, that you're, you're going down a rabbit hole there that you definitely don't want to do. So, uh, well, well, good. So now we're getting into the second half of this where, like I said, you know, this is where you uh, talk about the issues or, or fixing the issues before they happen. You know, how, how, what, what do we need to have in place? What do we need to do to yeah. head this kind of stuff off ahead of time? So, uh, addressing areas of conflict is what it's titled, but tell, tell us about that part of it. You know, there, there's kind of three general areas. One deals with, we got conflict because there's poor communication. Another one is we got conflict out, out of frustration. And then lastly, you know, there's just differences of personalities or values. You know, you got different folks with different strokes, but looking at the, the communication issue, you know, you, to start off to fixing this and maybe even preemptively um, identify the issues by listening, you know, uh, listen for key phrases like, hey, man, I thought you wanted it like this and not like that. Or, no, hey, nobody had told me the plan had changed. Those are indicators that, that we got a communication issue and we can prevent those, you know, by being clear and specific and checking for understanding and checking for understanding. You know, I think about the tailgate meeting. Yeah, sure, man. You you ask questions during the tailgate meeting or the pre-job brief, but where you really check for understanding is when people start working as the supervisor, you get out there and you look and you say, are they, are you ask yourself, are they doing what we just talked about? And if they're not doing what we just talked about, well, obviously there's a communication issue. So, you know, how do we fix the issues? Well, we stop work in the affected area. And these four things are going to be across all three of these areas that, that, that we have conflict. We stop work in the affected area. You know, we don't want to we don't want to let this be a hazard. And then we take a breath and we calm down. If you're getting worked up, just take a breath, calm down, focus on the solution and not the issue. And I can't tell you how when I realized that when I started focusing on the solution instead of the issue, especially as a safety guy. Man, we started having cultural change hand over fist. I mean, it was it was really good. Focus on the solution, not the issue. And then clarify those expectations or needs. So those deal with poor communication. And, you know, Rod, as you think about all the incidents that you've investigated over the years, man, how often do you think it's just communication issue? You know, I was sitting here jotting down couple of notes and and I was going to ask you something very similar and at the end of the day um and and this goes for all of safety not not just uh you know this you know the the subject we're talking about today I can't tell you it's an unbelievable percentage of incidents that occur um you know problems on the job site additional cost uh, quality issues, uh, and I, I could list it, you know, just keep listing it, but it all stems back to poor communication. If there was yeah. one thing that if, if we could fix it as a as a, an industry, and it would make the the biggest impact without a doubt, if we could eliminate poor communication, that one thing would make our well it, it would do away with a lot of our jobs uh yeah you know but that yeah that that's huge man communication is the backbone to almost everything you know i i uh 
I've kind of developed a framework over the past 10, 10 years or so I call purpose and principle driven. And there's, there's eight principles. And one of them is communication. Now that got started because of us thinking about all the failures, all the incidents I'd investigate. But what I realized as I kept going is, man, if you do these eight things right, of which communication is the main one that goes across all of it, you have success, overwhelming success. And yeah, like you, man, I'd say of all the, the thousands of incidents I've investigated, I bet you 95% of them deal with communication. If it's not the direct cause, it's definitely the indirect cause, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, we, contributing we, factor. Without a doubt, um, communication more times than not plays a role somewhere, somehow. Yeah. So th that's the communication one. Frustration is often, you know, that's a big one out there, especially when it's super cold or super hot. You know, you've got some tough conditions. And what we want to do with frustration is we want to identify the issues. Um, maybe it's a lack of resources or some sort of unrealistic expectations. Uh, and, and when we hear these key phrases, such as you hear workers say, hey, I needed that or I need that, you know, or, hey, there's no way we can do that, but no one will listen to me. Or maybe it's even, I just expected more of myself. Maybe it's not external. Maybe it's internal. Somebody's putting expectations on themselves that's leading to frustration. And I guess the way we prevent these issues is being realistic and adjusting the job plan when there isn't enough time, staff, equipment, or materials. Or by not just imposing unrealistic expectations on ourselves. Or we just got to be clear and specific. And, you know, the... I used to call this unfunded mandates. I was a school teacher for a time uh, back when No Child Left Behind came out. And, you know, they just set these expectations, but they had no funding to actually do it. And oftentimes our frustration comes because the project we're on, man, it just doesn't have the resources we need to meet the expectation. And the way we fix those issues is, well, like I said before, like the, the, the big four is stop work, take a breath, calm down. If you're getting worked up, focus on the solution, not the issue. Clarify the expectations. Make sure I actually understand. Make, make sure it is a, an unrealistic expectation. Maybe it's not. Maybe I just don't know what they really want. And then lastly, develop a joint plan to use the resources you got. And maybe that includes adjusting the expectations. You know, Rod, how did you see frustration, you know, when you were boots on the ground back then? Well, you know, you you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, so much of it has to do with the environment. And now when I say environment, first of all, the, the actual environment, how hot is it? How cold is it? Those those two things affect people's mental faculties more than you can imagine. Uh, you know, I, I built wind turbines in North Dakota when it was 25 below zero. Um, and I, I don't care who you are. Uh, you stay out there for any length of time and you're not in a good mood. Um, you know, and then, you know, on the opposite end of that, I was in, uh, in Qatar in the middle of summer. And oh, gosh. it was a, the, we, we had a, one of those thermometers the round ones look like a clock with a thermometer hanging on a tree and 130 is where it went to and it was pegged out. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, when, when you walk outside, you lose your breath. 
It is so yeah. same thing on the cold side in North Dakota. You walk outside and it's like, oh, my lungs burn from breathing. You know, from, from that type of environment to like we were talking about earlier, what type of environment or let's let's say culture do you have on your job site? You know, what are, are, are the people um, that that virus that, you know, just negative Nancy all the time mm-hmm. kind of thing? Because I, I don't care. That person it will bring the rest of your job site down when when if you have one of those that are just constantly moaning and groaning and something's wrong, uh, you know, all the time, they're going to bring your job site down. Uh, there's nothing. There's the only way you can fix it is to counteract it with more positive stuff. Um, but it's so hard. Uh, but yes, yeah. I, I've seen um, the frustration because and and big one, like you said a minute ago, is the the funding. You know, we're we're safety guys, right? And and you know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people listening to this can relate to this. Now, most companies will tell you how you know safety is so important. It's a value. It's a number one priority. Whatever they call it. Yeah. But when the job gets tight, more times than not, what's the first thing they start cutting? You know, yep. And Safety and training. Yeah, exactly. We we can do without that. And yeah, you know the the thing is un, until you know training, like you said, uh, but un, until you have an incident like Monday Night Football the other day, mm-hmm. right? Do you realize how many people in the last week have gone to take a CPR class? Because oh, I can happened? imagine. You know, so it's the same thing. You know, you're you haven't had any incidents you haven't had anything happen so you you know start cutting back on the safety and the training and all that and then something happens uh which creates even more frustration and it's an endless cycle um but you I, know that oh go ahead no 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 i'm just gonna say you know it's you know you, you call it the big four a second ago mm-hmm. and in all three of these these last uh ways to head this stuff off start with the same three or four things, right? Stop. It is. Take a breath, deep breath, do some yoga or Zen stuff, something, calm down. Because if you don't, then every decision you make from then on out is not going to be correct. Um, In in BUDS, in in Navy SEAL training, they they teach uh, what's called uh, four square breathing. And mm-hmm. it's a way to calm down. And just, just real quick, it's, it's, it's actually pretty simple. It's, you know, you inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, and leave it out for four seconds. And then inhale again and, and just keep doing that. And that will actually slow your heart rate down, uh, lower your blood pressure, and help you to calm down. So, if that little technique can help anybody out there when you're frustrated and had poor communication, please feel free to use it. I, I love that four square method. Uh, it does work. And, uh, you know, something you mentioned there, that guy, that cancerous person, you know, it, it's one thing when it's 80 degrees and he or she's popping off. Uh, I work now residential solar with 9% of the business is residential solar. So we got 20 year olds on the roof and uh, it's hot down South. We're based primarily in Texas. And 
I, I couldn't, I was having trouble getting the guys to tie off. So I kind of made a joke about it. I integrated it in. I was like, Hey man, it's a hundred degrees outside. And you know, you're kind of a jerk, you know, at times and you pop off to these guys, you might want to tie in because at a hundred degrees, they might get tired of you and just try to throw you off the roof. And at that time, <laughs> you might want to be tied in. So kind of a joke, but that's, not really. That's another way to look at it, right? Yeah. If you if you get them so bad that they want to throw you off the roof, they have a bad moment, you might want to have that rope catch you. Sorry, boss. But that that gets back into the personalities and values. That leads us that cancerous person, that person with the, that Eeyore kind of attitude. You know, some those are the ones that really stand out. Um, so differences of personality and values, not everybody's made the same, not everybody believes the same stuff. And, you know, we want to identify the issues by just kind of listening for some key phrases as a leader, just listen for these like, you know, here she's always yelling. Uh, he's too sensitive. He just cares about getting home to his family or she's just waiting for five o'clock somewhere. You know, those are some key phrases that that the the crew members have got some different person or different values, and the way we kind of prevent these issues is accepting the fact that that we're family, and and every family has that cousin Eddie, you know, off of uh, vacation. You know, cousin Eddie. Everybody's got a cousin Eddie, and and we need to deal with that to succeed. And you know, getting rid of miserable people and their cancerous attitudes that's important. Uh, you know, we want to do that by putting putting workers together that have similar personalities and values when possible, and maybe by by filtering others' words and tones to find out what they're really upset about. And Rod, this you may be like this as well, but those most outspoken folks on the job site, the ones that are really kind of jerks, they sometimes say the most profound things. They bring up the actual issues that we need to address. It's just oftentimes they use the words in their tone that we don't hear it or some people don't hear it. And I tell you, this is another key to safety success is be able to filter out the words and tones to, to hear what's really going on inside. You know, have you experienced that as well with the loud mouse? Oh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, until I started honing in the skill set of leadership, of being a leader. You know, so many of us get promoted through the ranks because we're really good at our job. And mm -hmm. then, you know, one, once we get into a position of authority, whether it's a foreman, a supervisor, or, you know, uh, vice presidents or whatever, you know, you, wherever you end up. Um, but we've never had any training on how to lead people. And yep. in going through that process, uh, you know, over the last you know decade or so for me, um, yeah, man, I, I have absolutely um, run across people like that. And one of the things that, that I've learned and, and actually, you know, in full disclosure, learned this in probably the last year uh, is there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. And, yeah. you know, when when you you know, a lot of the stuff you're talking about is has to do with the leader listening. That that you know goes into the psychological safety part of things. And you know, yeah. hey, construction hands, man, you know, leave you feelings at the gate. And well, you know, you know, they're just rough and tough. And it's there's so much more to it now, though. When 
when our leaders, the, the, the job site leaders or company leaders will actually listen to what the people are saying, um, it, it makes so much of a difference. And then when you do that, you can pick up on certain things and start preventing the issues before they ever happen. Uh, and when you do run across Cousin Eddie, and you will, um, listen. Yo, and I love Cousin Eddie. Like, oh, I love the Cousin Eddies out there. They're the, they make life fun. Absolutely. And I've got a house full of them. Trust me. Um, <laughs> heck, I might be one, to be honest with you. But finding those key phrases sometimes, using that leadership skill of listening to what people are saying, not listening to respond, but listening to understand. And when you yeah. do that, then you know we can wrap it all up with the the big four again, right? And you you, you can stop the work and take a breath, calm down, right? Focus on the solution, not the issue. And then you know there's you know in in this one obviously if it's if you can influence change in yeah. the person to change that attitude, that's great. Do that. But if you can't, then it's time to replace them and get somebody else that's not going to be that cancerous uh, virus on your job site. Yeah, that is beyond what you what you mentioned right there, uh, the, the listening to understand. It reminds me, um, I study every morning and I was in the book of James this morning. So regardless of your faith, there's some wisdom in the Bible. You don't have to believe in the Bible to to have some wisdom out of it. James 119 says we should all be uh, quick to hear uh, and slow to speak and slow to anger. And I remember the first time I read that, I don't even think I was with faith back then, man. I was like, that is profound. Be, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. And uh, that solves a lot of these issues. And if we can do that, you know, we do the stop work, we take a breath, we focus on the solution, not the issue. And with these, sometimes you need to rearrange the work crews. Um, there's some folks that you got to, there's some folks that can work better with other types of personalities. Absolutely. And and if that doesn't work, hey, man, you cut the cancerous attitudes out. You, you got to make them a free agent to the industry once again. And you do it yeah. not to punish them but to elevate those that are all around you, you know? Absolutely. So, and you know, that's kind of when, when, when you're picking the teams and, you know, where, where I sit in my organization, uh, you know, I have safety professionals out in the field and, and I have to match their personalities up with the construction managers. Because yep. like I said, you know, this personality is not going to, going to mesh well with that. One. You're just going to have problems, but we find the right personalities build the correct teams and you know every member of every team can't necessarily just jump and change teams leaders yep. on the other hand should be able to adjust but as you're coming up through the ranks um everybody has their uh, their their strong suits their flaws uh their personality some of them quirks but yeah building that team and and uh like you said um rearranging the crews if needed 
that that can be a huge help. Yeah, it does. Well, man, I tell you what, Jesse, like it, it has been an absolute pleasure, buddy. Um, thank you so much for all you do for the Internet Prevention Institute and writing these things for us and uh, allowing us to, to print them out. And then, you know, take taking time of your own and uh, uh, spending it with me and, and talking about this stuff. It has been an absolute pleasure once again, bud. It's a pleasure to be here again. And I thank you, Rod, and, and all of Incident Prevention. Y'all are doing a great, great work. Thank you. All right, buddy. All right, guys, that's everything for this episode. Uh, listen in next time for a really good safety topic. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Utility Business Media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.